0: By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybetemidrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Shalom, shalom, holy chavra. It's an honor and delight to be here with Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Dovrosen. Rosen, who is the rabbi and director at Yekhar Yerushalayim, wonderful shul in Jerusalem. Rabbi Rosen studied Torah at both modern and Haredi Yeshivot for many years, a decade of which was at Yeshivat Haretzion in Alon Shfut in the uh, Gush Etzion. He studied philosophy and literature at the Hebrew University, from which he received a doctorate in philosophy uh, for a dissertation on the subject of the metaphysical and theological basis of social justice theory. Kevalich. Okay, Rabbi Rosen, thank you for taking time to talk. It's good to see you. Okay, so to jump right in here, um, what is the role of the individual in determining ethical behavior? T- to most philosophers, it's such an absurd question, but we're committed to halakha. And so as, as as traditional Jews who are committed to a legal tradition, a legal process, it raises the question of autonomy and the
1: individual. So what is our role in determining our, our ethical choices? Okay, well, this is big, right? So or throw something in. So like, you've got the idea of personality um, and like the Kabbalistic or, or um, Hasidic ways to talk about a source of an origin, a source of a soul, right? A shoresh neshama, right? And then you can talk about personality and the idea that you have a shlichut, you know, what you know, Protestants will call a vocation and Jews will talk like a mission in life, right? And then, and then of course, you know, I think that the first question is, is it an objective mission? Right? Is it something you're given or is it something you choose? And um, and there, you know, obviously, if it's something you choose, then you know, are you choosing right? Are you choosing wrong? Or are there many options and you're really choosing right? And then it becomes an authentic choice. Um, so I think that's the first thing that you have to put on the table: that that individuals might be expected to try and understand what they were born with and try and take it somewhere that will be new. Mm. Um, and then one thing that, of course, that raises is, of course, a big question of is how does God respond to that, right? How does providence maybe change? How may, Maybe maybe things have to happen differently. Maybe things have to be reworked because, you know, you've chosen a new direction. So it's all about, you know, obviously the question, what does it mean to be authentic? Um, and, and what does it mean to choose a path? And then, of course, you know, if you're going to talk about the relationship to Allah, then, you know, you're finding a way within that. Okay, but the values of your path might be beyond. You know, the Torah is wider than the Shulchan Aruch, right? And that's that's in the Torah, right? It's not even a question of inside or outside. It's all, it, the Torah is very wide.
0: Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. Okay, so uh, yeah, so that's great. So in our Abu Dad Hashem, our service of Hakanish Baruch, it requires the full self, our full self. We can't suppress parts of the self in that, in that, in that avoda. So let me ask you, when there's a clash between halakha and ethics, you know, we love to talk about the clash, you know, someone like Reb Sadia is going to say, oh, then you've made a mistake. There is no clash between reason and halakha, between ethics and halakha. So you got to go back and, and reinterpret both of them or re-understand them until they work together. But I wonder, is that your answer? And what does that mean for those who aren't philosophers or aren't um, halakhist or scheme? How can the average person who doesn't feel equipped to grapple with the huge ethical questions and halacha? not outsource their problem to a posik uh, all the time, but actually be a part of the moral development process,
1: even though they don't feel fully equipped. Yeah. Okay, so there's two issues there. So, I mean, I think the question of whether it's all in the Torah or it's not all in the Torah, which is like your first issue, uh, kind of depends how you define the Torah. <clears throat> sorry, that's like saying, you know, is it all in philosophy? Is it not? Well, depends what it is. You know, if if the Torah is halacha alone, then the Torah itself says that not everything is in halacha alone, right? Or you could say it differently. The, the halacha is an expression of the values of the Torah. Um, uh, and it's the expression that is obligatory, but it's not the full expression of all the values of the Torah, because you have a lot of Values in the Torah that don't come out as particular mitzvot or they come out of mitzvot that are non-obligatory every day So so a person I think has to you know obviously there will be tensions between the halakha and your ethics But I think those are more on the sideline the more interesting Issues that come up all the time is how do you plot a personal path an authentic path? Uh, in in the Torah um, Within halakha, uh, so so, you know, I'll just throw it throughout, you know, like one Unexpected important sources like the Khatam Sofer talks about when he's attacking Hasidut in, in Orachayim in Kuvca He's attacking Hasidut. He said, what do I not like about Hasidut? He says, what well, I don't like is, he says, the whole point is to go beyond the Shulchan Aruch. What's really important is what you do beyond Halacha, or what you do within Halacha, your own personal voice. That's the whole thing. Um, the problem with Hasidut is they make the whole thing a, a social issue right? Everybody does the same thing beyond, and when everyone's doing the same thing beyond, then you have to start again looking for something personal, right? Now, whether or not that's a good argument against us, to do this, it's a good argument, right? The, the argument is you need, you need to do something which is personal, which infuses your understanding of halakha and goes beyond and takes the wider values of the Torah. And then when you're saying, you know, the place of the rabbis, or what does a person do who doesn't f- feel they're learned enough, so i mean i actually really believe that it's really important to study let's put it to put it this way i think that something really fundamental about judaism is learning and that everyone is learning and we're learning all the time and 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 that's because we really believe that study even deep analytical study if it's done properly affects real life and action um and i really believe that the study of ethics in that sense is a bit like a part of the torah And if if people feel that it doesn't affect their action, that's simply because they're not learning the right things Mm -hmm. or they're not learning it the right way. Mm -hmm.
0: So Um, it it
1: seems to me in a
0: sense like you're speaking about halakha as a floor, not a ceiling, as it's been described, as kind of a minimalist approach. But it feels to me, what if we said, as some have, um, and I might even um, that halakha actually includes our social justice responsibilities, right? That we are obligated to fight oppression and, justice, uh, and injustice to pursue the yashar v'tov. And to do that is very encompassing. I mean, to to take on social, political, moral issues in society um, is is very demanding. It's hard to imagine going beyond halakha in that realm. So I wonder how
1: you relate to that minimalist, maximalist question. Right. So. Everything is within the halakha. But again, okay, so the question is how do you choose? You know, some people will say, you know, I'm going to concentrate on my family. Some people will say, I'm going to go out there to, you know, to Africa or I'm going to open a soup kitchen, right? And halakha teaches you about your obligations, but halakha, and for that matter, ethical philosophy, um, doesn't necessarily tell you there's only one path. You have to look at yourself and say, how do i do that so again i think you know we it's within halacha is a kind of framework and the torah is is if you want to see as it's often been compared to that you know you you swim in you move around in and you're taking those values that you're hopefully infused with and then you're looking at yourself and you're looking at the world around you and you're asking how do i apply them what is my path to apply them but but of course you know th- that is what learning torah is you know that's what i'm personally quite invested a lot in you know bed ethics and and study the, specifically those parts of the Torah that really affect how we, you know, interact in the world. Uh, that's very central. And, it's, you know, often we study it, but we don't realize what we're studying. Sometimes you have to change the focus to realize that you're doing it all the time, right? And, th- and that's how it helps you, you know, affect your life, that you make it real right. uh, when you realize what you're doing. Mm. So what should the role of religious authorities be today when thinking
0: about cultivating the moral intuitions? Um, and moral deliberations of those who
1: approach them with questions no. well, I think the the most important thing is to think about the word authorities um, because often we we think about rabbis as authorities um, and i i mean there 's a certain kind of authority that people have we all have authorities uh, of types but um but it's a really i think you know rabbis really about teachers um Mentors, uh, um, people you learn with or learn from, or somehow, um, and and so then you know as authorities, I think people have very little influence uh, and not that much importance either nowadays, or maybe ever, right? As an authority, I mean, you can decide halacha, but even then, people choose whether to follow it. Um, the 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 role of uh, the the religious role should be should be one of trying to show the expanse within the Torah and the you know, what's there, what's obligatory to everybody, what depends on circumstance, what's there for you to choose how to live by uh, and what you and, and how you can then use that to, to enrich your life. I mean, the, the, the assumption should be, as you said before, that not everyone has the same sign of access to knowledge or, or hasn't spent that much time, was not able to. Right. And that that you're supposed to, you know, the help is really to to access the riches and to ha- for those riches to become practical in your life, you need to understand uh, how how to apply them for yourself, mm-hmm. right? So so that really should be, um, and I think that happens when you learn Torah the right, you know, whatever the right way is, right? When you do it in a way that really mm-hmm. touches the, the depths of your soul, you know, it should happen. So so how do you understand the role of of
0: or Avas Hashem of of awe of God or love of God within this tension of Um, individual expression versus communal norms that to some degree we want to be a part um, of not separating from the the norms of our on the communal level on another level we're individuals and sometimes we might be led to different
1: places than communal norms how do we juggle that as rabbis or as lay people yeah well there's different kinds of communal laws uh rules and or norms right um so sometimes you've got like the simple halachic you know to get, take an extreme case, right? You know, I might enjoy staying up all night, um, but the halacha is that I have to say kriyat shema in the first three hours of the morning. Um, and that's not going to be the best thing for everybody in every situation, right? And that's just a simple one. That doesn't make me special or any, doesn't touch upon any moral, ethical challenge, but it just means that I have to, for some reason, hakadosh baruch who gave that role in the Torah, it could be because we need to. Think about those things in the morning or it could be because there's something cosmic about the world like the Ramchal and the Rambam would say different things there but it doesn't matter at the end of the day I have to get up in the morning right and then you've got communal you know norms that are not part of halacha. um you know the Gemara says uh, right that in the place of singing that's where you can daven so it says an individual should always daven with a tzibor because you know, it's assuming that the singing that the tzibur does, you know, the singing, the communal singing, that's not really Dharna. Really, Dharna is what you're doing as an individual. But if you want to do it well, you're going to need help. You're going to need a context, right? And obviously, if you're going to need a context, then sometimes the context, you know, real Dharna is what you're doing inside your heart. So sometimes it's going to go against, you know, there's going to be that challenge. And that's one of the big communal challenges. How do you give free expression to people? Help you know, the whatever's happening really helps their authentic selves, mm. their personalities, their shorosh neshama, um, But we have to do it together, yeah. right? And that's the challenge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ha- okay, wonderful. So, okay, so
0: so following up on another question there, that, like, the, like the issue of women's smicha, right? Like on the issue of women's smicha, someone might say, look, there's no real halakhic um, objection, you know, you know, there's the Rambam, you know, and Sarara, but really it's it's a, it, it wouldn't be so difficult. But really it's about Masora, it's about communal norms, it's about you know, changes happening. So I'm not necessarily asking your view on that, I and mean, you're welcome to share that, but how, what kind of frameworks would you use to think about such a question like that? Because that is one of those issues, like something like gay marriage, which is something that is very pressing as a contemporary halakhic ethical question, and, um, and in many ways goes beyond the realm of strict law.
1: Right, well, so I just throw a few things into the field because yeah. this is you know, something really to discuss at length. Yeah. So, you know, one thing, <clears throat> sorry, one thing, one thing is that it's not just a question of communal norms in the present. It's a question of uh, evolution as opposed to revolution. How do you be part of a, the word tradition is not, is insufficient, right? How do you, how are you part of a continuum? Right, we have no right or suddenly we would be very flimsy and standing before god as individuals alone right and that what's special is that we can be part of i don't want to use the word tradition because it's much deeper than that it's a relationship a relationship that goes over you know thousands of years now that whenever you're dealing with something that's authentic and and it's an old relationship it's also has to be creative and has right and has to evolve and, and and you know it can't stay that. so that's always the challenge in the communal setting it's always the challenge right so the question is how do you move ahead in such a way that you're also you're even feeling the your the old jewish style it's right it's 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 natural like when you when you watch a film and you see a lot of pictures and you can't see where it breaks because there's a natural flow right um and and that's the real challenge so like both my mother and my wife are incredibly learned, maybe more learned than most rabbis I know. But, but, you know, it's not a question of whether they get smicha. It's a question of at what point people relate to them the same way they relate to me, right? So people will ask my mother and my wife questions the same way they ask me a question. That's what you need, right? That that means something's happening. and And sometimes giving it terminology, I think, um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. No, no, Let's not get into that question of whether other people are doing the right thing. But, but often putting the focus on the question of terminology is, re- is for sure missing the point, right? You know, whether a person thinks it's necessary. You know, I'll leave that for others to think about. But it's yeah. it's not it's not the real issue. Same thing with forms of davening, right? The question is how do you feel the same thing? It's a very deep thing about feeling something, right? How do you experience it in the same way? You want to experience something that your great-grandparents experienced in the 21st century as an experience of the 21st century. Okay, so, so should we,
0: should, you know, Rob Cook talks about um, evolution of halacha as being guided by hashgacha Pratis, uh, by divine providence, and then others take a more activist approach to it, that we should be educationally and, um, and through other means helping to move halakha to be as um, in line as possible with our contemporary sense of ethics. Do you take more of an approach that
1: this is a natural evolution or that we should actively be shapers? Okay, so, I mean, the easy thing is to say in between, but I I actually mean something by in between, so I'll try to explain that. (laughs) Right, so, I understand things is, when a person acts naturally, authentically, in a certain kind of way, right, by their values, then things change. When one sets out to change things, one's acting from without. Now, when one's functioning from within, one's conceptions change, and what seems right will with time shift, uh, and that you see all the time. And th- th- I think a great text for that is the HaKtamah of the Ketzot and you have a lot of other sources as well, where you see postkim saying, I'm aware the way I think is different to how they thought in the past. That's fine. But if I set out to do it on purpose, <clears throat> sorry, then um then it won't be authentic. It won't be real. And I actually think that it won't just not be authentic, it, it won't work well. Um, you know, I I in something I wrote, I, I I kind of brought examples from people like Wittgenstein and Quine. So that's you know, talking about, you know, you have say Quine talks about a field of force where you have. Where you have some kind of web. And you know, you can change things, but everything depends on something else. And where I take that to is that when you act within the web, right, and you're acting naturally as part of the web, things will fall into place, right? But when you try to impose your desire on something, then then it tears, mm-hmm. right? But that doesn't mean that you're not changing things. Anybody who's being, you know, real understands that that's what it means.
0: So, uh, okay, so, so, yeah, so, so uh, shifting gears, uh, I think I have two more questions for you. Um, how do you approach futuristic questions, futuristic questions and ethics, uh, Jewish ethics, that are, are really paradigm shifts? When we look at questions like billionaires trying to fund immortality, or we look at artificial intelligence, or genetic modification, I know these are very complex and they're all very different, but what should our orientation be because in some ways, those of us committed to halakha are naturally conservative because we're so past looking. It doesn't mean we can't also be progressive, some of us, but we're naturally conservative in our interest in preserving Torah. How, how, what framework should we bring to Jewish ethical questions that are
1: futuristic? Right. So, I, I mean, I think there's obviously different types of questions. So some types of questions, halakha has almost nothing to say about. OK, and, and, and that's perfectly good because that doesn't mean that the Torah doesn't have anything to say. Right, so one of the reasons halakha has rules, and if the rules don't respond to certain issues, then those rules might not have anything specific to say about those issues, and that's that's fine. Uh, that does not mean that the Torah doesn't have anything to say. Right, so you know, if we have a conception of what a family is, the fact that we can we can bring children into the world in ways that in the past we couldn't doesn't mean that we don't have a conception of a family that's not such a only a halachic question that's that's a sense of values that come out of a lot of areas of torah um so that's on those types of questions now there are other areas where halacha has a lot to say not just torah values say family the sense of for example i just give you an example you know i think that's something that's not clear nowadays the importance of you know the importance of a father being a father, right? There's sometimes kind of lost nowadays. I'm not talking about whether, where where, you know, if there isn't a father, I'm talking about the importance of fathering, right? You know, that, that's something that sometimes people miss, right? And that you can see throughout Reshit, right? That's not that's not Halacha so much, uh, even though there are halakhot about it, that's not the point. Um, you have other things where halakha has a lot to say. So, for example, when you're talking about end-of-life questions okay so that this is like ethics less futuristic because it's really a problem now then you know deep analysis ethical analysis of relationships between say consequentialism and deontology and all kinds of are really relevant and you've got and you look in halakha and you're trying to you take out of halakha um, a conception of what type of ethics what type of ethical issues are really important (laughs) Holiness of life or the importance of not taking life, right? These are very different nowadays, but when you get completely futuristic, right? Then then, you know, then I think that a lot of Jewish theology is really really important and people don't know it So, you know, you know, take Derek Parfit all kinds of analytical philosophy questions, which are very futuristic And they bring Star Trek as an example when half of the theology of the Middle Ages was dealing with questions of and things like that, right? And it's important to to bring up those even reincarnation. Those are really important discussions. Even if we're rationalists and we don't maybe go by those things, right? There's a lot of deep ideas there uh, in in Kabbalah in Jewish thought that can be really really helpful for a lot of futuristic questions. So I'm really interested in that. Even you know Kabbalah Gilgulim, you know it sounds like completely out of our area, but it's very very relevant to ask. How do you look at what an individual is? Mm. What a life is? Mm. What happens if a person forgets everything? What happens if he had a different body? Would you still say it's the same person, mm-hmm. right? Can one person be a few people? Can you move on? And those questions are dealt with in an indirect way in common. Yeah, Maybe a direct way of a different generation. Okay, very interesting. So,
0: okay, um, just one last question, and I wanna honor your time here. So, uh, and I, I don't know if this is a mathematical question, an epistemological question, but how we think about risk In pikuach nefesh, in saving life, what kind of risk can we take? We have the paradigm of soldiers, right? People put their lives at risk in 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 Medina, Israel, for the interest of saving a collective. Or there's living organ donors, those who are going to donate part of their liver or their kidney, putting their life at risk to save another life. Or in a very different sense, there's higher risk pregnancies. Should I abort this pregnancy or continue in childbirth? That's different because it's a potential life. It's not. It's not someone who's already alive. But how do you understand, the t- mathematically or epistemologically, epistemologically, the extent to which we should take risk upon our lives for the sake of
1: the life of another, or for the collective lives? Well, anyway, I'm, I'm no good at math, but <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, there's a few interesting things out there that one can play with here. Uh, to think about the subject. So, for example, Rav Kook has this interesting idea uh, in his halachic writings that a person's allowed to sacrifice themselves for others. You're not allowed to sacrifice one person for another, but that person can sa- okay, so I'm not saying everybody would agree, and in what situations would you say that, right? But that opens one's mind to altruistic issues, right? And the question of whether you need to... Now, when you're looking at somebody else and you're looking at yourself, it's very very different, okay? And and I think that br- brings us back to like where we started the the idea of um, your own path, your own mission in life, and to what extent do you choose your mission in life? And sometimes a person can say, you know, I think this is my mission in life. Now, obviously, in certain situations, obviously you're not allowed to commit suicide, so so it's not always possible to say this is my life. I'm going to choose a direction, but yes, yeah, sometimes it makes sense for a person to say, I'm going to go for it. Right? Are you allowed to give your life? For example, for all kinds of things is a big machloket between the medieval Ashkenazi world and the Rambam. The Rambam thinks that anything you're not you don't have to give your life for, you're not allowed to give your life for, mm-hmm. right? But in the in the world of Sefer Chassidim, they thought about these things very differently. Yeah. And so even if we're not talking about giving a life, but living, but risks and challenges, you know, to health and the way you live, um, you know, back to the mission, a personal mission, right, that we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. so so there i think you know without talking about losing life one one can you know use those ideas of the safer hasid in that world and start saying well it could be that a person has to choose a way to live their life right you have to have your boundaries you you know there's a reason to draw a line in a certain place as far as not you know going too far in risk but it's fine but, you know i think that risking one's life is not the central issue often it's it's the risks within one's life that are much more central than the risk of a life, mm. right? Most people are not about to go and risk their life, and it would be irresponsible in most cases for the people around them, and and halachically dubious because most people think, like the Rambam, that you're not allowed to, you know, lose your life um, just for anything. It's interesting. Right? One, of the, one of the interesting paradigms
0: there, sorry to cut you off, is if you look at Pidyon Shvuyin, and like the Maharam, or, or the case, the case of one who says, don't save me, you know, you know, for the sake of the collective, I mean, that's
1: kind of an interesting paradigm to play with also. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, right, you know, people sometimes, I mean, there's a lot here, but people sometimes confuse danger to life with loss of life, right? There's a lot of levels of of danger to life. For example, you know, we, we break Shabbat, it's not called breaking Shabbat, but we violate the rules of Shabbat over and, extreme danger to someone's life, right? Uh, that, that that doesn't mean that you think they're going to die, you just think that they could die, right? So, you know, I mean, you can look at it mathematically, but, you know, I'm not sure that in all generations, they thought about it in, pro, you know, probability terms, right? It's just more a question of the way you look at it. But I, I think that the real challenges are not, the real risks we take in life, and the real ethical challenges are not about loss of life. Yeah. They're like, if to, to take like Bernard Williams type of stuff, moral luck, that, they're the the risks we take with what our life is going to mean. Right. Okay, so here, uh, here's an example of that
0: some of us grapple with over here. There are refugees and asylum seekers who are fleeing violent villages and end up here. And it is illegal for you to create a sanctuary for them where you um, hide them. You know, not uh, obviously it's different than, you know, people in France or Germany hiding Jews in their basement. It's a different situation. But the basic idea is understandable that, you know, uh, someone's life is at risk if they're sent back. Am I willing to be arrested, you know, break the law, um, put myself and my family at risk to support such a population?
1: Right? Right. Right. And that's good because, you know, you're not talking about loss of life. You're not risking your life. But you're risking a lot of things that you hold dear. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes if you're not willing to risk certain things in life, then it's not clear that you've saved the rest because you've kind of given up on values that are going to define you. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, sometimes the re- the reason why people become almost totally inactive mm-hmm. is is because they're you know they're they're making these calculations. So so I, I would say that you know the way I think about this, if if I can be like, you know, bring back to some kind of dvar Torah is is I how maybe Moshe Rabbeinu looked at himself before he was chosen to, before Hashem called upon him, right? You know, he grew up in the house of Paro, and he, and he, you know, as soon as he grew up, he went out, killed someone, had to run away. Yeah. And it could be that he felt for years, I blew it, right. I blew it, right? <laughs> had I been a bit calmer, and you know, whatever, and I'd worked within the rules and said, okay, that's just bad, and, you know, I would have had an incredible effect as the Viceroy or whatever I would have got job I'd have gotten in Egypt to save my brethren. And instead I'm some shepherd in Midian, okay. Right? And you know, and, and you know, I see that as maybe why Hashem calls upon him to take the people out. And you say, why does he say no? And I think part of the reason he might have said no, no, is he said, that's not me, I blew it. And Hashem says, Yeah, I want somebody who can't control themselves, yeah. who throws themselves into the ethical path, who then grows up and realizes that, that maybe it's not so wise. You know, and and, and Moshrappen was always like that. So, you know, I that's just part of growing up. That's part of our maturity that you can't see evil. Yeah, yeah. You can't see it, but on the other hand, you can't always deal with it.
0: Mm, mm, yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And it's that
0: tension that brings Moshe Rabbeinu. And that, and that's, that touches back on your point of different personalities, like Christ Baruch, who creates us all differently to harness different uh, abilities and talents.
1: Uh, you're going to have okay. to choose what kind of person you're going to be.
0: Yes. Okay, I feel like I could talk with you all day, but I want to honor your time. Thank you so much, Rabbi Dr. Schulhulmodov Rosen Shkoyach. thank you so much. Lots I of be with you
1: Take care.